You're listening to ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. Here's your host, Dr. Stephen Edelman, founder and director of Taking Control of Your Diabetes, clinical professor of medicine, Division of Endocrinology and Metabolism, University of California, San Diego, and San Diego Veterans Administration Healthcare System. What is the impact of increased use of antipsychotic medications and diabetes? Joining us to discuss antipsychotic medications and diabetes is Associate Professor of Psychiatry at Harvard Medical School in Boston, Massachusetts, Dr. David Henderson. Dr. Henderson, welcome to ReachMD. Thank you very much. Well, David, let's start off with general terms. We know that antipsychotics may cause diabetes metabolic syndrome. There may be a controversy if they are the initiating factors or bringing out something that's already in someone's genetic makeup. Uh, tell us a little bit about the use of these drugs now uh, and what are some of the opening concerns? Well, these um, antipsychotic drugs, in particular, the newer drugs, the second generation or atypical antipsychotic drugs, have of increased in a number of prescriptions dramatically over the last uh, 10 years or so. Um, initially, these drugs were indicated for uh, the treatment of schizophrenia, but um, many of them have uh, FDA approval to treat bipolar disorder as well as major depression, and they're often used off-label um, as well to treat uh, things like even anxiety and insomnia. So. The first concern is that there is a dramatic increase in the use of these medications across all uh, medical specialties. And then the second concern, obviously, is that the, these drugs may, in fact, be contributing to some of the metabolic problems that we see um, in, in individuals with mental illness. But again, I think that we will talk about this, but the effect could be when anyone taking these medications. Yeah. No, just for our listeners that may not be familiar, could you list some of these medications, not to necessarily pick on one or the other, just so that we're all on the same page when we talk about these antipsychotics? Sure. The, um, the first uh, atypical antipsychotic drug that came out was uh, clozapine or clozaril, and that was uh, closely followed by drugs like um, risperidone or respidol, um, olanzapine, which is Zyprexa, um, Seroquel, uh, which uh, the generic, generic name is quetiapine, uh, and then there's drugs such as iripiprazole, which is Abilify, and um, Ziprazidone, which is Geodon. And so uh, these drugs are actually uh, quite commonly used across, the, again, a spectrum of psychiatric uh, disorders. Yeah, thank you, because that, that has clarified it for myself as well. Uh, how do you define metabolic syndrome, especially the, the things we're talking about that may be increased with these antipsychotic meds? Well, metabolic syndrome, as you know, is really a, um, I think, an artificial diagnosis, which um, is primarily related to insulin resistance that... Um, seems to have a number of different disorders that, that travel together. And it's important to uh, point out that when we start talking about the antipsychotic drugs, some of the side effects really hit uh, some of the specific criteria um, around the metabolic syndrome, including um, obesity or weight gain. And, and the weight gain is primarily in, in the abdomen, so you get abdominal obesity but it can also affect uh, lipids, including increase in triglycerides, a reduction in HDL cholesterol, and then uh, blood pressure, and then um, uh, glucose metabolism. So 
um, you get elevations in uh, fasting glucose. So with metabolic syndrome, as you know, if you have three or more of those um, criteria, you meet the cri- definition of metabolic syndrome, and that means that you really are at increased risk for developing diabetes and cardiovascular disease. And this is exactly what we're seeing uh, with these antipsychotic drugs. Yeah, that's a pretty serious list of side effects. Uh, and we know that, you know, heart disease is the number one cause of death for anybody in the United States, as well as people with type 2 diabetes. Now, um, what if you took 100 people and you gave them these drugs, then they did not have diabetes, you know, in the beginning, what percent will develop issues? Well, it, it varies by the drug. Um, let's say the worst case scenario is a drug um, such as clozapine, which is probably the best antipsychotic drug. Um, it's really reserved for a treatment-resistant uh, patient. Um, but if you take a group of people, in fact, we did a study where we had 100 people, and, and we followed them over a 5- and 10-year period, and a third of them developed diabetes during that time. Um, and, and when you look back, you know, it was clearly related to, you know, the, the lipids went up, the blood pressure went up, the, they gained weight. So all of those factors in metabolic syndrome were actually quite predictive um, of them developing diabetes. But, um, so, but one out of three over the course of a five or ten year period developed diabetes. So that's pretty high. That is high, now, yes. Some other drugs where the risk appears to be low or, n- or not at all. So um, the FDA has um, basically um, required every drug in this class to be to have this label, but some drugs do not appear to have such a negative effect. Yeah, they, I think that's important, but you mentioned one of the best antipsychotic drugs had the highest risk of developing metabolic syndrome. So I think there's a, you have to make a decision, you know, are you going to have a mental health or metabolic health? And where do you lie on that balance? It, it is a, the risk-benefit um, analysis that has to be conducted. Um, so by the time you get to clozapine, that person is, is at very high risk. So their risk-benefit ratio is quite different than someone who's just starting out. Um, so I, you know, my recommendation is always to start with the, um, the, the drug with the least amount of side effects and kind of work your way up the risk ladder. Um, and I think that um, a lot of people unfortunately do not practice like that because they're only familiar with one or two of the drugs and they're and so those are the drugs that they go to yep. uh, when in fact we have a a, a group of you know a multi, uh, like six or eight drugs were that are effective um that um but with different side effects if you're just joining us you're listening to diabetes discourse on reach md the channel for medical professionals i am dr steven Ullum. i'm speaking with dr david henderson we are discussing antipsychotic medications and their influence on diabetes and metabolic syndrome. Well, David, obviously some patients need these antipsychotic drugs to maintain their mental health. And how do you deal with the side effects, specifically the obesity, the blood pressure, the cholesterol, and the diabetes? You have to be proactive in, in this process. So uh, once a drug is selected, uh, you have to take into consideration the patient's own medical history and risk factors, including family history. And then you have to take into consideration the medication itself and its risk. And if it, it, it with all of my patients, I will you know discuss the side effects as well as discuss um, ways to prevent some of the side effects. So even early on in you know the first prescription, we're talking about um, diet and exercise and 
and and you know referring to nutrition programs and so on. So we really have to be uh, very preventive in in and and trying to avoid these side effects, which I think is absolutely critical. I think it's easier to prevent the side effects than it is to um, treat them once they've occurred. So once the patient has gained 30 pounds, that's much more difficult. But if we can get people up and out and active um, early on, I think that's quite helpful. Now, one of the things about um, these medications, which is interesting uh, from a um, diabetes standpoint, is that we've had numerous cases of individuals who have developed diabetes in association with one of these medications. And when we've been able to remove the uh, medication, um, usually trying to replace it with a medication with less risk of metabolic problems, um, in, in many cases, the diabetes actually resolves. Um, so so it's, it's, it's really important to recognize the contribution of the antipsychotic medication um, to the weight gain in diabetes um, because the best intervention, while well, you have to you know, treat with metformin and so on, but the best intervention may be trying to switch um, the antipsychotic medication. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. Do you think some of these individuals that develop metabolic syndrome with antipsychotic drugs have an underlying genetic predisposition or uh, maybe a combination of both? I think it's a combination of both, and 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 I think the people who have um, a clear risk, um, I think the effect is actually greater and faster. But I think there's also a group of people who probably didn't have significant risk, um, but over time, the the uh, with with the use of the medication, they they start to develop uh, many of these uh, problems. Um, we've actually looked at a group of people who who do not appear to gain weight and their glucose metabolism seems fine with the medication mm-hmm. and we're looking at them genetically trying to understand who these people are but even with that um, they still lay down fat in their abdomen so they while they don't gain a significant amount of weight they develop um, abdominal increased abdominal adiposity so the medications are doing something to them even uh, they, even though their numbers look pretty good. Talk about uh, what the American Diabetes Association guidelines recommend uh, with prescribing these drugs. The the guidelines uh, that were established by the American Diabetes Association and the American Psychiatric Association, I think back in 2004, really recommend at baseline before the medication start is started, you you take the patient's uh, personal and family history to assess their risk, and then you weigh them, um, calculate their BMI, their waist circumference, blood pressure, fasting glucose, and the fasting lipid uh, profiles. And then they recommend that you go back at, at, at about three months' time um, and, and recheck um, a number of these, including the, the weight and, and blood pressure and fasting glucose and lipids. And I think that's important because if the numbers change um, significantly over those three months, then that, that really is a person who's at very high risk uh, for developing um, metabolic syndrome, but also um, diabetes and cardiovascular disease. And then after that, they recommend screening every 12 months um, of all of those parameters. And I typically, in my patient, do it every six months. I think it's just um, um, a little bit more uh, important to stay on, on top of this because, uh, um, you know, we've had patients uh, uh, with who've developed diabetic ketoacidosis and probably had we had an increased screening, we could have picked up the fact that they had already developed diabetes over the course of a year. A year is a long way to wait with a class of medications that causes metabolic syndrome fairly commonly. 
Exactly. We'd like to thank our guest, Associate Professor of Psychiatry at Harvard Medical School in Boston, Massachusetts, Dr. David Henderson. Dr. Henderson, thank you so much for spending time with us on Diabetes Discourse. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. To learn more about diabetes and the role of GLP-1, visit novomedlink.com forward slash DIA. For more details on the interviews and conversations in this week's show, or to download the segment, visit us at reachmd.com. In last week's class, we talked about how diabetes affects the whole person, and we left off with an important question. Are we looking at every part of diabetes? Uh, To help us answer this question, I've invited one of my colleagues as a guest speaker, Dr. Jackie Brennan, who has been practicing endocrinology for over 25 years. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here to discuss a key issue in diabetes, whether or not we're looking at the whole picture. As you know, sustained control of A1C is important, but we can't stop there. Weight, cardiovascular risk, and beta cell dysfunction are also part of the problem. Specifically, I'd like to talk about GLP-1 and how it impacts multiple systems affected by diabetes. Can anyone tell me more about it? Yes, Jamie, go ahead. GLP-1 is a natural hormone that helps regulate glucose metabolism, and the multiple actions of GLP-1 are critical to glucose control. Exactly. In a glucose-dependent manner, GLP-1 stimulates the beta cells in the pancreas to secrete insulin and inhibits the liver from releasing excessive glucose by reducing glucagon secretion from alpha cells. Anyone know what else it does? What about you, Sam? Yeah, doesn't it help control weight by slowing gastric emptying and inducing a feeling of satiety? Yes, and GLP-1 may also play a role in improving beta cell function, a key to slowing diabetes progression. But why is this so important? It's because at diagnosis, type 2 diabetes patients have already lost 50% of beta cell function. Well, isn't impaired GLP-1 physiology also part of the problem in diabetes? Yes, that's a great point. People with type 2 diabetes may have impaired GLP-1 activity and or impaired beta cell response to GLP-1. This could contribute to problems that develop over time. That's why the multiple actions of GLP-1 throughout the body are critical. GLP-1 regulates blood sugar in a glucose-dependent manner, may help control weight, and may improve beta cell function. Novo Nordisk is a world leader in diabetes care and is dedicated to ongoing research. To learn more about the latest treatment available from Novo Nordisk, please visit glp1analog.com.